Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is... I'm Dave Clark. And I'm Tim Foss. And that time we did that without rehearsing at all. Uh, so I'm I'm relieved we didn't mess it up. But here we are back to referencing our own selves, just like the good old days. So under heart. Uh, well, we're here on what is a pretty extensive break for the Sounders. We're almost a week into their break, and the Sounders still have almost two weeks before their next game. Uh, it's kind of a funny place. The Sounders like it's. Like this is a longer break. This is as long of a break as you'd get for the World Cup, uh, oftentimes. So, in a World Cup year, maybe it makes sense uh, to have this. But it's a good time, I think, to take an account of the season up to this point. Uh, I think we would probably all agree that, to the degree that the season can already be a, su- a success, it is one. Uh, I think it was on extra time that they gave the Sounders an A++++, I think it was, uh, based on them winning the Champions League, which, hard to argue, I I think if you had mapped out the start of the season and you had said the Sounders win, become the first MLS team to win CONCACAF Champions League, you almost don't care what else comes after that, right? Uh, But, you know, the Sounders did go out earlier than I think they wanted in Open Cup, but they have at least kept their head above water in the race for the playoffs. Uh, They're currently in a playoff spot by points per game. They're only two points out by aggregate points uh, with two games in hand on everyone else. That's not a bad position B. It's not exactly a great position. If you know, I I think there's some frustration that I can uh, relate to. There is at least three, if not six points that are probably just sitting out there that, the Sounders should have had. Uh, I think we can probably at the very least agree that they should have won that game in San Jose where they were up 2-0 and 3-1 and they came away with zero points in that one. And I think you can probably argue that they they should have won that home game against Miami just because it's, you know, you put it on paper, especially at the time. Because it's Miami. It's Miami. Uh, I suppose that that loss looks a little better in hindsight uh, because Miami's actually been on a roll since then. Well, the same thing goes for San Jose. Like Good everybody's point. like, how can you lose to the very awful San Jose? And then you like, San Jose's lost one game since yeah. they hired a coach who doesn't like think his players are idiots. Um, <laughs> Although they're, I think the more though, it's frustrating thing about the San Jose game is they were up by two goals and they didn't, yeah. need, they didn't like, they just sort of gave that game away, which was very frustrating to watch. Twice, twice, exactly. But. Uh, higher level like like let's put aside whether the season is a success let's drill down into 
some of the uh, frustrate. I wanted to talk about some of the things that we found encouraging or uh, frustrating or uh, that we've, we've already witnessed through this year. Uh, Tim, why don't we start? What, what's one thing that you have been pleased by at this point in the season? I think it's probably an odd thing to pick out with some of the defensive issues that the team has had, uh, especially looking at the, the kinds of goals they've given up, the set piece goals they've given up, but I've been really pretty pleased by the center backs in particular. Um, I know we've talked a fair bit, fair amount about Jackson Reagan, who kind of burst onto the scene was spoken very highly of by the people inside the organization, but was a little bit slept on outside of that. Um, He's gotten a lot more minutes than I think we would have expected initially at the start of the season and is impressed, uh, particularly playing in place of Jamar who missed time injured but since Jamar's come out, come back, I I think it's become very clear that Jackson Reagan's done really well. Jamar is another, a whole other category of player. Like he is such a solid center back um, that it just makes life easier for everyone around him. Uh, Javi, Brian Schmetzer talked about it. After the last game, Javi has just come on so, so far from where he was when he first joined the team. It almost seems like talking about his you know, propensity for making boneheaded errors once a game is a thing of the past. His dribbling and passing opens up opportunities for the players around him, and he seems to make, you know, occasionally game-saving, but often goal-saving interventions at the the points where it seems least likely that someone's going to do anything. He just has, has grown so much into the role with the team this season, and it's, it's scary to think where the team might be without those two guys in particular at this point. Yeah, Javi actually leading the team in minutes played throughout through all competitions. Uh, but both, I, I don't know that anyone would have would have imagined this, but both uh, Jackson Reagan and Yamar have right around a thousand minutes uh, already. Which, you know, it's pretty. You know, like if you had told me Jackson Reagan was going to have a thousand minutes at this point, I think I would have been a little worried. Uh, but he's been, you know, he he's been. I would say maybe. I don't know him and, and Vargas are maybe the two big revelations. Uh, Dave, anything you want to add to the, the, to the center back discussion? I think uh, an important note, just when you talk to Jackson Reagan, you're talking a minimum salary guy um, yeah. versus uh, playing better than Shane O'Neill, who at 200,000 or so was good value for being the first bench center back. But if you can get your first bench player in a position group, as essentially a homegrown, even in Bill Jackson's case, for bizarre MLS rules, he doesn't count as a homegrown. But if you can get that at a minimum salary, um, it's kind of like the the good old days when we had new at the ultra cheap, you know, under yeah. six figure kind of thing. 
getting that from Jackson is is great value because it gets you almost another veteran salary that you can use on a winger or the third forward, you know, Will Bruin, for example, if in, in some ways Jackson Reagan's ability to perform that well is why you have a player like a Will Bruin available as a forward. Um, because if you had to go Shane O'Neill and then Sissoko, you cut that corner somewhere else. So it's just great value. And I think that's part of what, you know, Garth is a, uh, long talked about trying to find that um, to be able to fill out the, the quality depth, not just the back end of the roster um, with homegrown players or players from defiance uh, or with Academy connections. And we're seeing that with the, uh, the third best center back on the squad. Well, the third most used center back on the squad, because new is probably better, but he's a left back now. And we're also seeing it at defensive mid uh, where uh, that was not necessarily planned, but uh, it's all academy players basically uh, trying to pick up Jao Paulo's absence. Yeah, it's been it's it's been a a solid core of defenders, and I think it's a little it 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 does lead me to question why have the Sounders not been better defensively? I think they only have one shutout in league play. Uh, they have just one or two other shutouts uh, when you include Champions League. And I can't help but feel like that's maybe a bit more on the, the midfield. And if there's been one frustrating area, it's not so much frustration with any individual player, but the collective midfield has sometimes not been as sharp as I think uh, we would like. Yeah, I think it's... It's interesting to look. I feel like if you went back and listened to podcasts that we put out from a year ago, more often than not, the complaints after a loss or what should have been a clean sheet and wasn't was like, oh, this was individual errors that led to a goal. Somebody Mm -hmm. slipped or you know there were multiple Stephen Cleveland and AB Sissoko kind of lost their minds for a second and gave up a goal to Vancouver or whatever uh this season it seems like instead of the individual errors it's organizational issues of like there just was a lack of communication two people went to cover the same guy nobody shifted over to pick up a late runner or like someone was allowed to just run through the midfield um i think say Cade Cowell against the earthquakes who just kind of got like chauffeured into the penalty area um it's it's reassuring on one side that there's not these just frustrating individual errors happening that like, Oh, that's a one-off that they'll clean that up. Mm -hmm. Um, The organizational stuff seems like an area where Brian Schmetzer and his staff can iron things out, but it's not happened yet. Maybe this two week break will give them the opportunity to straighten some of that stuff out. But a few of the guys they need to do that with are, away with their national teams. So 
one of the guys I think they need to do that with the most because is Albert Rusnak. Um, and it's not that he's air prone. It's that uh, I, I think it was a recent interview where he said uh, there wasn't really like a discussion about him playing in that role. That's just where he kind of started. Right. And so it, we, it, it's, it's easy to forget that him learning this, uh, what's supposed to be a six, eight kind of hybrid is uh, he's doing it on the job. He's doing a really good job of it on the job, but he's still learning that. And it's not like he's this, he's not the tackler that Jao Paulo is or that Christian Roldan is. Uh, so he's going to have to do it through uh, taking up space and interceptions. And that's, uh, he's learning. I'm, I'm more confident in his ability to be in that role than I was, I think, three months ago when I was uh, on this podcast and complaining about it. Uh, <laughs> but he also doesn't have uh, a partner of Jao Paulo's quality anymore. Right. And so that's going to be a little uh, bit challenging because in a lot of cases, uh, Rusnak wants to be kind of an eight and 10 hybrid uh, rather than a six and eight hybrid. And his most common partner, uh, Obed Vargas, has, uh, is a pretty good eight but also isn't really a great tackler. And so if you don't have a great tackler in either of those roles, their understanding of space together and the pressure from that, the band of three, uh, both of those things have to be much stronger without a, a Zhao Paulo or, you know, historically an Alonzo or some of the other just guys that'll clean you out with a tackle. If those guys aren't there, um, there just needs to be a bit more precision. And so it's one of those things that ideally over time gets better uh, because uh, I don't, I don't know, Jeremiah, you, you're more tuned to rumors than I am, than I've been in a long time, but I don't really think we're going to see kind of this like Tam uh, defensive mid get signed. I think we're going to deal with the, the three youngsters and, and Kellen Rowe, um, which I mean is good enough to win the CONCACAF Champions League final and three of the last four in MLS play. So it, it's not really dire, but I know a bunch of, you know, fans want to see more talent. That's the, the natural reaction to any, uh, any soccer fan is always just spend money. It'll, that'll fix it. And I, I don't think we're going to see that. I would agree with that. I don't, I don't think like, I haven't heard any rumors. I haven't gotten any indications from anyone in the organization that they're seriously looking at, adding a defensive midfielder. And, and, you know, I, I think I, I sort of articulated this at some point, the challenge is that they I, I fully expect Joe Paolo to be back next year. So they don't want to bring someone on who's going to be here long-term. They have these young players who they really believe in, uh, you know, Obed, Atencio, Leva, they don't want to block them. And so potentially what you're looking at is someone you can bring in at a mid-priced loan. And it's like, well, who's, who's, who's available at that level. And we don't have to go too far back and see the kind of player who is available. And that's like an Emmanuel Sacchini. And it's not to say that the Sanders can't find a better version of that, but it's someone who is struggling to find their place at another team who might actually still have a pretty decent price tag. Maybe there's a, maybe, you know, who knows, maybe someone comes available in the MLS internal market, but, you know, I was looking around at who out there is really potentially going to offer an upgrade that might be available. And you're looking at like, you know, like an Eric Remetti, I think is probably the high end of 
someone that you might be looking at. And Rometty might be a, an upgrade over who the Sounders currently have. Would they are they a game changing upgrade? I don't know about that. Like, you know, it, but you know, you don't want to. My point is that you don't want to bring someone in that's going to have be a permanent block to these other guys. And especially when you when you know, like as as much as Vargas has struggled at times, and I think he's been very good at times, but I think on the aggregate, he's probably like an average uh, eight. Uh, when you when you take like his his pluses and minuses, at least statistically, he's about an average eight right now. You know, he's got room to grow. Uh, Josh Atencio, you know, maybe you want to get into this, Dave. Josh Atencio maybe is this the internal solution if they have one. I think if he was healthy, uh, uh, you, you dropped it in the comments, and and maybe I need to expand it into a full story. Uh, about like the, the defensive mid options, but you dropped it in the comments. Josh, when healthy, is basically better than Obed Vargas in every measure ground covered, passes completed, tackles, pressures, disruptions, interceptions. Uh, yeah, so Obed looks good. And I think this is going to be a fun thing to remember because Josh didn't look that good before the pandemic. He looked like a suitable player. Obed looks better than. Josh did at the same age. So the future's very strong. I don't want to say that it's not for Obed Vargas, but when we think about like a long-term solution, I think we'd see Josh Atencio starting. Like if we remember how good he was for those first four months last year, um, you know, covering, covering ground like a Nico or a Christian tackling uh, as strong as anyone I've ever seen solid interceptions kind of a, a, a metronomic passer uh, short, but capable of long ball switches in the Gustav Svensson mold. And, you know, can fill in an emergency at center back. Such a valuable player. And even if, so even if he doesn't beat out Obed for all this playing time, that's going to be available. Um, if Josh Atencia is healthy, we're going to, we're going to see him for 900 to 1200 minutes. And it, it's just amazing to think of the, of the three teenagers, yes, he's the oldest at 20. <laughs> you know, there's just, he still has promise um, to figure out because like so many, uh, he was uh, impacted by that donut hole in development uh, thanks to the pandemic restrictions. I feel like if they didn't think that he at least could fill that gap for the time being, Jordy Delem wouldn't have signed with a USL championship team. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a solid six training with the team with lots of experience with the team who they let sign with a second division side because there wasn't a place for him. Yeah. Like, that's I, a great I, I, I think at this point, the organization has earned the trust of fans to believe that they probably have a good idea of what they're doing and their talent evaluation, especially internally is pretty good. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, As an aside with Obed Vargas uh, today, I was able to confirm that the Sounders are plant were able to come to an agreement with, I don't know if, people have been following this, but uh, U.S. soccer really wanted 
Obed to go to the U20 uh, championship, CONCACAF ch- uh, championships, I think they're what they're being called, which uh, either double or triple, depending on how you look at it, as the World Cup uh, U20, the 2023 World Cup qualifying, as well as the 2024 Summer Olympics qualifying. So the four semifinalists will all go to the U20 World Cup in 2023. The two finalists will all will both go to the 2024 Summer Olympics. So there's a lot riding riding on this tournament. And uh, Mikey Veras, who's the head coach of the U20s, apparently is very high on Obed. He wanted him in, but the Sounders were like, hey, he's our starter. We don't really know that we can release him. And from the sound of it, they were able to come to a uh, a compromise where he stays with the Sounders until the knockout stage of the tournament, which means that he would at least be able to play on the 14th against Vancouver and on the 18th against LAFC. And it sounds like he may actually stay with the Sounders until the 25th against Sporting Kansas City. And then that would allow him to join uh, at least by the quarterfinals. And the quarterfinals are obviously the the big, big game in that tournament uh, where presumably the U-20s can get by without the the 16-year-old uh, who's playing a whole year uh, age group behind. So hopefully they can they can at least get to the quarterfinals <laughs> without uh, Vargas. But it just kind of shows how ex- how you know he's not a finished product by any stretch. But uh, talent evaluators are really high on on Vargas. It's going to be very important to get him to that that uh, 2024 Summer Olympics because uh, he'll be 18 and finally eligible to transfer overseas. Ah, um, so that's one of those, uh, one of those games that spikes a, uh, a player's transfer fee quite a bit uh, because a bunch of teams start to get speculative and competing and bidding against each other. So I, I like that little play and for the Sounders side, anything they can do to get one more player available for that Tuesday game against Vancouver is going to be yes. rather important. Yeah, so right now it looks like they're going to be missing Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, uh, Javier Arriaga. Nuhu might be back by then. And Albert Rusnak, I think, is probably gone too. I can't remember with if what his schedule looks like. but uh, And then Reed Baker Whiting is the other player who's missing, who I, I don't think was probably going to factor in either way. But uh, he, is, he is with the U19 team uh, right now. Uh, which for some reason the U19s are training during the the break, but they couldn't schedule the U20 tournament during the international break. I don't I don't entirely understand that. But well, the U19s are training in Europe, um, but not as part of the the Toulon tournament where uh, Jordan Morris once went. Right, uh, that's back on, but the US isn't part of that. They're part of like this uh, ad hoc friendly thingamadeal. Reed at least got a trip to Malaga out of it. So, hey, congrats! Yeah, that's that's not so that's not so bad. Uh, so speaking of Jordan Morris, I actually think he he's another player who I think you depending on how you look at it, you could either be frustrated by his performance, or you could be encouraged by it. I'm choosing to take a positive spin on it. Uh, you know, he has six goals, which is a decent uh, total in all competitions. Uh, there's a lot of frustration though, over his, his lack of sharpness in front of goal. Uh, 
which I think is fair. He's missed some good chances, but that he's continuously getting himself into those positions, I think is maybe more encouraging than if he were like, like I'm finding more encouragement in him underperforming his XG than if he were overperforming his XG because he's actually his, his XG is actually very good by his standards. And it's telling me that he's getting into good spots. And that's the part that uh, is, you know, the finishing I think is you can chalk up to sharpness. He, you know, he's still coming back from injury, but if he's getting himself into good spots, that to me tells me that, you know, he he's progressing the way we want him to. Even from just a pure counting stat perspective, all competitions, he's about a goal or an assist every three games, which is not far off from his no, best he's... performances over the course of a season. I, I think taking the, the optimistic view of his performances so far, and I think really the team as a whole is the right approach because basically unless they, you know, knock on wood, as long as they don't get hit with like an injury crisis beyond losing possibly your best player for the season, they're, they should keep getting better and gelling and better understanding each other's tendencies and how they're going to work together without Joao Paulo and, Jordan's going to get fitter and he's going to regain those instincts a bit more. I think you've been able to see a few instances where I think we have seen previously when he's been coming back from injury, there are plays where when he is fully in his flow, it's either a faster, maybe he does play it with the outside of his right or he plays it with his left But in these transition periods where he's still coming back from injury, it takes him just that split second to think about which thing should I do? And often that brief hesitation is the difference between connecting with Raul Rui Diaz at the near post and getting a goal and hitting a ball that's just too close to the goalkeeper or just ahead of Raul and goes out for a goal kick. Like those things are going to get closer and they're going to get better. The fact that he's already got six goals and one or two assists, all competitions is pretty good. You know, I I want to go ahead, Dave. One of the things I'm pretty excited about is uh, I think he's one of the two players that can use this uh, more normal pace that the Sounders are about to be in where they're playing only like five games a month rather than eight. Um, (laughs) Jordan uh, needs that because so much of his game is about his, his physique and how he uses that speed. And um, he always looks tired when he runs, but sometimes he's actually been tired late, but they just need him because he's just more talented than the other options. And I think the other one is the other guy coming back from, from injury. And I know Jeremiah has a bunch of numbers on this Nico, who loves to cover ground um, playing only once a week, or barely more than once a week is going to be very good for Nico Ladero, who is also looking like we, we sometimes forget this. Jao Paulo was the 2021 MVP candidate. Jordan Morris and Nico Ladero both finishing top five in the 2020 MVP candidacy. And uh, we just talked about Jordan 
putting up numbers that are kind of on par or on pace with that year. Nico Ladero is, uh, I think Jeremiah, if he's looked up the numbers right now, they're pretty darn close, if not maybe even better than his uh, fifth place MVP season. Yeah, he's he's on by by all the the counting stats. He's exceeding his his career best right now. I mean, he's on seven goals, five assists. Three of those are penalties. But even if you take away those three penalties, four goals, five assists, that's that's a pretty good haul for you know less than a thousand minutes so far this year. Uh, and and but if you really what I find really encouraging is if you dig past the counting stats, you know his uh, his passes per ninety are right on par with what he's averaged with the Sounders his completion percentage is right on par his uh you know the percentage of passes uh, that are like the distance of his passes are are on par everything you know you can look across the board and and I I I will agree that there are times by the eye test that he doesn't look as sharp as he has before but that's to me that's that's the stuff you can fix like you can you can gain sharpness the more you play but where you start to get worried is like, is he avoiding contact? Is he not getting as involved as he once was? But all that stuff suggests that, you know, he's re- he's effectively returned to his 2020 self, which is the last time he was he was really fit. And that's, you know, that's really encouraging. If you if you look sort of in the aggregate of this roster and you start wondering, well, how are the Sounders going to replace Jao Paulo? A fair question. But I do think there's reason to think that they can replace him in the aggregate, uh, whether that's through you know more touches for Rusnak and Ladero in the central midfield, whether that's more production from uh, Nico from uh, Rui Diaz and Morris. Uh, you know, Chris, we haven't even mentioned Christian Roldan, who is having a uh, you know an MVP caliber season. I think he's got three goals, ten assists across all competitions right now. Uh, if he maintains this pace, you know he, he he'll put up you know, one of the, the great seasons, statistical seasons in Sounders history. Uh, and, and he's been absolutely spectacular for the Sounders, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's every reason to think that the Sounders can contend for MLS cup again. And, and that doesn't even require them to make these big, you know, jumps. I think they can sort of progress at the pace that they've been progressing. Even uh, you, you talked about the pace they've been pro- progressing. Um, we, the three of us, have all chuckled uh, in uh, in group chats and whatnot about New York City FC and and their bounce back and and all of that kind of stuff. It, it's easy to forget that the Seattle Sounders, after being eliminated from the Open Cup, they've won. They've taken nine of twelve points. Right. Um, so it's not just like a oh they've corrected or anything like that. The old adage in around MLS is that once your extra competitions are over, you're going to start performing better. And on total, since the, uh, since that great win, even then it's three of five wins, the draw in the open cup since winning the CCL final. So, um, you know, if you win three of five games for the remainder of the season, the Seattle Sounders are not going to be a bubble team. They're going to host two rounds of the playoffs. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's every. I, I feel like finishing fourth has to be the low end of the expectation right now. Like making the play to me, making the playoffs is not is not something like we, the conversation right now is not like can the Sounders make the playoffs. The Sounders 
absolutely can make the playoffs. The question is how high can they get in the table? And I, for me, like I look at, like you, you look at fourth place, which is that gets you a home game in the first round of the playoffs. That's the, that's the baseline expectation. And then how much higher can you get from there? Uh, I, I don't see why there's any reason the Sounders can't come close to equaling their point total last year, which was 60. And uh, you know, They've, I, I, you know, one of the big questions coming out of last year, or one of the big frustrations, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say necessarily the questions, but the big frustration coming out of last year was how average they were at home. It was one of their, I, I guess it was statistically their worst home campaign since coming into MLS on a points per game basis. And, you know, they're, they're uh, seven, seven and two at home right now. Uh, that's a, that's a pace that would put them, if they were to main that pace, maintain that pace over the course of a whole season, they would, they would set a franchise record for points per game or points at home. It feels worth noting that like, if you look at the table right now, it feels kind of spread out. The Sounders are in 10th place, 13 points back from first in the West. They've got two games in hand games in hand are kind of useless unless you win them. But Sounders have, four home games coming up. If they can make up that, you know, if they pick up six points from those two games in hand, they're seven points back from first in the West. They're in like fifth place. I think there aren't any teams currently who look likely to just run away with it. No. I it's MLS. First of all, it's not, any of the big European leagues. That's just not really a thing that happens in spite of the fact that we've repeatedly seen points records set and reset season after season in the league. But even then it's not teams amassing, you know, hundred point seasons, 90 point seasons, whatever it's, it's MLS. It's a very even league, all things considered. I don't think we're going to see a points record set this season. And the absurd thing is that about a third of the way through the season, the Sounders are still, you know, they're not out of the supporter shield race. I don't think that's really the focus, but I, I think it feels worth noting how, how close things really are at this point still. Yeah. I just did that. Like if they do their post CCL performance, which people might think is well, three wins and five played, that might be a little too aggressive. But New York City FC has been out longer, and has essentially been on that. If Seattle does that, they finish with like sixty-eight points. Um. So, no, not out of the supporter shield, and the pace but- is going to help them the the lack of require you know we had some games and i love the dudes that that kind of have one foot in defiance and one foot in sounders but fewer starts by sam adinaran that's good you know not having a uh, uh jackson reagan ab sissoko pairing at center back for the sounders that's going to be great no offense i like both of them right get some playing time but you know reed baker whiting doesn't need to start. Ethan Doubleair, who looked really good when he came back, less starts is good for the Sounders. And getting into that again, 
five games in four weeks kind of pace um, and, and running out the ideal 11, well, the post Cal Paulo injury ideal 11 with minor rotations so that you're basically hitting, you know, 12 or 13 players rotating, rotating through starts rather than 20. They just, I have really great and high hopes for this, uh, this team in this situation. I would say that uh, the Zenders also get a, got a bit of a break. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but I, I suspect something like Alex Roldan not going to join uh, El Salvador during this window is something that can potentially pay some big dividends. You know, he was low key, someone who was piling up a lot of mileage over the last year or so he, I didn't really, he had 15 caps with El Salvador uh, that, and that's starting from that. That's in less than a year. Uh, you know, he because he joined, he didn't make his debut with El Salvador until the Gold Cup in the summer. Uh, and and yeah, 15 you, you add 15 caps onto whatever else you're doing. You know, he uh, that's you know, 15 caps plus eight uh, Champions League games. You know, there, there's some, I think, like getting him a break was a, was a good deal, regardless of the circumstances of why he's getting that break, but uh. Yeah, uh, the centers still don't really have a clear. I guess Kellen Rowe is maybe their backup right back. Uh, Ethan Dobler, like you alluded to, has gotten time there. Uh, Dobler, not to get too distracted, sort of came out of nowhere, uh, almost literally. Uh, you know, he was someone who was pretty much off the radar. He went on loan to a team in Chichia, uh, the old Czech Republic, got hurt before he even made his debut. And at that point, I don't know about you, but I had sort of written him off. Like, it's like, all right, well, it was, it was nice having you around Ethan, but then he, he comes back to camp and all of a sudden he's getting minutes with the first team. And I think it even surprised uh, Brian Schmetzer a little bit. And, you know, all of a sudden he's like, kind of, he's getting minutes at right back. He's getting minutes at, at attacking uh, on the, on the right side of the, the midfield. Uh, either of you have any any thoughts on Ethan Dobler? I mean, it's like, I don't, where did this come from? Dave, I know you've seen a lot more Ethan Dobler than probably anyone who's not one of his coaches. But I think, I think we saw glimpses of this in like 2020 in particular. He got a few sub opportunities and had plays where, you know, he, he put in sort of like a, a hard running all effort performance with a few glimpses of like, Oh, this is a technical player with a good IQ, but he's pretty small. He's not the fastest guy. He, you know, I think is still a teenager. Like he just is going to take some seasoning and he's, looking okay at the MLS level, but he's really not ready for that. And I, I think, you know, two years as a teenager is a lot of time for your body to develop and for your mind to continue to develop. And it's still, you know, he's not blowing anybody away, but every time he's been on the field for the Sounders so far since coming back, he's had at least a couple plays where, was like, oh, I, I didn't realize that Dobby had that in his bag of tricks. Like, I did not expect to see some of the just like 
incredibly silky touches on a sprint to take the ball past someone out of the air. Like I, I've been really impressed with him so far. He's going to, you know, get probably a lot more of his playing time with defiance, but if he looks like this, when he plays for the Sounders, he can certainly pinch it here and there. It's kind of funny. Uh, now I'm wondering who's the next uh, like forgotten Sounders Academy player that goes to Eastern Europe where they don't actually play <laughs> and comes back and looks like they can be a solid contributor because we're That's at a pretty now. specific. Oh, who's the other one that you're thinking of? Alfonso Ocampo Chavez oh, went okay. to the third division in Austria. Didn't like, I think he played in three games was a forgotten guy and now he's dominating uh next pro you know i i think that there it's a we say it too, way too often the the uh the truism of uh you know development isn't linear and i think uh we're seeing that through several positive steps from those two double air and and uh uh aoc and then uh, i think we're getting a reminder of that a little bit in danny leva who had has kind of faded a bit, but is also only 19. And uh, if we remember where some of our favorite players on the current team were when they were 19, um, you know, Christian Roldan was uh, a rookie. Jordan Morris was at Stanford. Alex Roldan was at Seattle U. Yeah. You know, um, so Danny Lave is already ahead of their growth curve. Um, heck, you look at Haji Wright, uh, I was just going to say, team. yeah, at 19 was with Schalke too, and looked like this very overhyped prospect. Uh, five years later, probably looks like he up. belongs in the national team pool. Final. Yeah. So, you know, 19 is not the time to give up on a player. And uh, the Sounders now have enough talent in that under 21 realm that they can keep it around and not give up on them because they've seen what can happen. I don't even want to say a late bloomer. 20 isn't late. 21 isn't late either. Late bloomer for me is like a 24 a year old coming around 20 year old. You're not a late bloomer. You're just going on that growth curve. Yeah. So that does bring me up, bring up an interesting question. How close do you think Alfonso Ocampo Chavez is to? He hasn't made his his return to the first team yet. He's on a first team contract. Uh, Brian Schmetzer alluded to the possibility that he would have been in the he would have been called into the first team for uh, the Open Cup if the Sounders had advanced, and he sort of apologized in a weird way for not having him in the like. It sounded like there was an oversight of some sort that kept him out of the Open Cup game that they did play. But how how close is he to possibly getting some time with the first team? What's the scenario that would allow him to do that, you think, Dave? I think the the, the first step, and Schmetz, uh, Schmetz said that in that conversation, is, is getting practice time with the first team. Yeah. He had been so frequently just seen as a pure defiance player that he wasn't practicing with the first team. The, the standard path is that, uh, like a dinner in, uh on a normal match week, we'll have like four practices with the first team and then one or two with defiance kind of thing. And so he's just got to climb that ladder where he's getting those minutes. You know, maybe it's a, 
a Will Bruin taking a day off, so they need a, another forward in those 11 v 11s, those kinds of things. Uh, Freddie Montero as well. Um, getting those opportunities uh, from the first team to just get there a couple days a week and see how he does when he fits in that group. Um, he has a weird skill. Like he's small for a center forward, but his skill set is now very clearly a center forward. He's not a winger. Um, even though he played pretty well on the wing all the way back in 2020, the second half, um, it really, what he's been good at is, is uh, that Chris Wondolowski or Raul Rui Diaz uh, floating around in the box, getting forgotten about and having one or two extraordinary touches. Uh, that's going to be hard during time. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot, being a nine or a 10 coming up through the Academy to get playing time on a team that contends for multiple trophies every year is more difficult than, than can be stated. He's not going to be better than Raul and Nico. Freddie Montero with his 70 some goals um, in all competitions. It's, It's a really big challenge for a nine to make that leap. Like Jordan Morris did it. And, uh, eventually moved wide, uh, but well, but yeah, uh, I mean, Morris yeah, was getting should. all all of more in order to get on the field early on. Morris had to be playing out wide, uh, and that was without a Raul Ruiz Diaz up top to, to be blocking him. If I remember correctly, uh, that was uh, that was Nelson Valdez was originally the the starter when um, Morris came in, and he was. And that's how, and it wasn't really until midway through the season that he moved, that he sort of overtook Valdez and, and started starting there. And that was because Valdez was having an awful season. He had like a, his, if I remember correctly, he had like a historically awful season where he, uh, he finished something like five goals below his XG or something like that. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, so it, it, it's a good reminder of how hard it is to, to get minutes for an, a guy like Alfonso Acampo Chavez. And there's a lot of trust that I think he has to sort of build back because if he's on the field, presumably it's you, you're hoping that he's going to be in a position to score. And so uh, that'll be an interesting one to watch. Is there anyone else with defiance that you think is worth keeping an eye on in the short term? Oh, in the short term, I actually, um, me defiance hype fellow. Uh, no, <laughs> um, I, I think uh, they have, two guys uh, that could make sense as emergency fullbacks written about them a lot that if there's like a wave of injury on the left or the right side, Randy Mendoza or Joe, Joe Hafferty um, would make sense there. Uh, Marlon Vargas has made a great transition to a number eight. I think that he can wind up with a 10 year professional career as a number eight, but I, I don't expect that to be here. Um, hopefully he doesn't hear that because he'll glare at me next time, but um <laughs> You know, he's been really solid in that role, but the eight for the Seattle Sounders, one, there's already three guys that came up through Defiance ahead of him on the roster, plus the biggest free agent signing, plus we saw Nico drop back, Christian. I I just don't think that there's space for a fourth uh, six or eight uh, coming up through the academy at this point. And he's the next, like he's probably the closest to, to MLS ready after AOC from the defiance signings. 
Uh, anything else first team wise or uh, second team wise, Tim, that is that you feel like is has you've learned about this team this year or that you feel like you feel more confident about than you were early on? You know, Dave mentioned earlier just some skepticism initially with Rusnak playing as the eight. He truly has been a revelation. I was looking at his stats on FB ref uh, for like in comparison to other midfielders and it's ridiculous. Like his pass completion rate is average for midfielders and everything else is, you know, 67th and higher percentile. His goal creation stats are all like, mid to high 80s low 90s like he has been otherworldly he just isn't the greatest defensive player uh the only other thing i'd really want to mention is just because it can't be mentioned too much saunders are concacaf champions league champions they they are they are (laughs) whatever else happens this season like whatever they won champions league yeah, no, I, I think there's uh that's a very good point. And we also, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but uh, just broadly speaking, Dave, do you have, a, you, you are probably the most familiar with the new setup that uh, champion, that the CONCACAF unveiled or sort of finalized. Uh, it won't start next season. It will start in 2024. But do you like this change? You Is this going to, is this going to be a better tournament? It's going to be, uh, a higher quality tournament and more competitive. It's going to have a lot more games in the United States fe- featuring Mexican sides, which will be good for TV ratings uh, and attendance. I will miss uh, facing some of the minnows from the old group stage era of, of Champions League. Uh, you and I chatted about that on Twitter with some of the people who used to travel to those small Caribbean yeah. islands for those games. San Francisco and... Uh... That was a Panama Panamanian team. What was, what was the, the Trinidad one? Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, going to Honduras, and there'll be a few less of those. But um, I, I like kind of the tiers. I don't know why Leagues Cup is considered a major tier tournament. I, I I'm not a fan of that. I love the Canadian uh, Premier League getting two entries, um, but considering how well their teams have done in the Canadian championship as well as the old CONCACAF league kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. I think it'll be more fun. Adding a round is great. Uh, adding a group stage would be better. I, I think you're going to wind up with a final. Um, it'll frequently be two Mex- <laughs> two league MX sides, but uh, you'll pull 3 million re- TV viewers, and they put seventy thousand people in an NFL stadium for the, those games. So, the I mean, finals I'll, are going to be amazing. I'll say this about the expanded tournament: is it feels like there's a higher probability that at least one of the teams that is like on its like in the middle of an elite season will be there from both from both uh, MLS and League MX, uh, whereas the you know, like in this year's tournament, one of the challenges or I don't know, one of the knocks against it, I suppose, is that 
the the best teams in Mexico were not in this year's tournament. So uh, Pachuca, Atlas, uh, teams like that just didn't didn't make this year's tournament because it was the qualification was so long ago. Uh, and similarly, well, New York City was in this, but uh, you know some of the other teams that were like LAFC wasn't in it. They're you know this year looking like one of the better teams. And there's always going to be some variance as far as that goes, but I, I think overall it will be a a better there'll be like there's going to be more margin for error of getting the best teams into the tournament. I guess is uh, what I'm trying to say. So I think it could be a potentially more interesting tournament. Um, yeah, six to nine Liga MX these teams. You're, you're going to you're going to have more quality from them. You're, you're going to have uh, quick off my head five to ten MLS teams. Right. Um, which will help make up for like sporting KC being in this last one. Um, you know, teams of actual quality will be involved. Um, so that'll be good. Like, and the extra round will be even be better. That first round where, um, this kind of qualification round of 22 teams, um, should help the MLS sides get that a little bit slower of a ramp up before we get crushed by, you know, the powerhouses from, from Mexico. Traditionally, when you're not the Sounders, I have to make that adjustment now because the Sounders don't get crushed by powerhouses from Mexico. Instead, right. we crush them. Right, exactly. Well, I think that's probably a good place to, to call this. We, we don't have a whole lot going on during the break, but uh, I suspect uh, soon after we come back, we're going to have World Cup stuff to talk about and the games are going to be flying uh, fast and furious. So uh, we'll, we'll rest up and, and make sure that we're ready to hit the ground running uh, once that's, that's going again. But uh, for Dave Clark and Tim Foss, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.